Here again, we are almost in the almost the end of January, and seems like Christmas was yesterday, but that's over a month from now. That's been gone, you know. And just curious to think back, like what what are some of the Christmas gifts that you received, and are there any that are kind of still sticking out to you now, a month later, um, that you're still able to enjoy? They were really really good gifts. I know my son Dax. He Got a lot of Nerf guns this year. <laughs> it's like a whole armory, Tom, that he's got going on in his room. I put up these pegboards, you know, and we hung them all. And I mean, he's got, I don't know, seven or eight of these things, some of them with multiple rounds. It was all fun and exciting in the beginning. <laughs> uh, but I swear, if I get hit with one more Nerf dart in the eye... <laughs> I'm studying this morning, going over my nose. Bam! Right in the side of the head. Got you, Dad! <laughs> you, you know, you walk out of the living room, it's... What is going on? Kids on the balcony, people everywhere. Darts flying. You ever feel like you're just under attack? No, seriously. Do you ever feel like you're just under attack? Like the enemy, he just... Coming at you in an all-out assault onslaught from every direction. Have you ever felt that way before? Because it, it will happen if it has it. It's like he's hitting you from the, trying to hit you from the left, trying to hit you from the right. He's coming at you. Just when one attack seems to kind of be diffusing, boom, here comes another attack. Right? It's just, he's, it's almost like he's unrelenting. I mean, it's almost like he comes to steal, kill, and devour. Wait, he does. <laughs> he never stops. He never stops. Let me ask you a question today. Do you ever sometimes wish or think, man, I, I wish my faith could just like take a break. <laughs> I, I wish I could just like catch my breath for a moment. Like time out, devil, just, just time out for a week. Give me a chance to just <sighs> get ready for the next one. You ever wonder that or think like, man, it just keeps on coming? The reality is, is that our faith does not work this way. Right? The Bible says that we are to walk by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. It says that we live from faith to faith. So let me say it another way. Your faith is necessary in every moment of your life. There is always a demand on our faith for the things of God and the promises of God to continue to come to pass in and through us. I, I get it. I understand. I know that sometimes it's like, I wish whew, we could just take a time out. <laughs> just take a break. Let me catch my breath and we'll get back at this thing in a bit. But the devil likes to get us on the ropes. Last week, whenever I spoke about being healthy disciples, one of the points in the message was um, having enduring faith. Remember that? And the Lord really kept me in that place this last week. And the message today really is a kind of a continuation of that point on enduring faith. Faith that persists. Faith that does not relent, that does not stop, and that continues on through every obstacle and every point of adversity in our lives. Because the enemy is not going to stop, but praise God, our faith can prevail. But it must endure. It must endure. So we're going to go into a, a story in the book of 2 Kings chapter 18, you can kind of do a little placeholder there for a minute if you've got your Bibles. We'll open up in a second. 2 Kings chapter 18. The Lord took me back to a word that He gave me and really a, a lesson, a deep lesson that He showed me and did in me on enduring faith all the way back in 2013. It's actually a campus pastor. Pastor Mike, remember that? And you were my boss, but now you're not my boss anymore, and I'm your boss. <laughs> it just has a ring to it. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, 
So uh, took me back to a message, a word that he gave me on enduring faith. And it's a story from the book of 2 Kings 18, really chapters 18, 19, a little bit of 20, about a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Sounds like almost a martial arts thing you would utter, like, Hezekiah! Hezekiah! Think deeply on that this week, okay? Um, Hezekiah. And the book of Kings, 1st and 2nd Kings, just, just a little bit of backdrop for you on this. 1st um, and 2nd Chronicles is very similar to 1st and 2nd Kings, almost records all the same events. And then there are a number of books of the prophets that you will see uh, sections in those prophetic books that overlap some of Kings or Chronicles because a number of prophets were contemporaries to Kings in their day. For example, Isaiah was a prophet during the time of Hezekiah. So when you read the book of Isaiah, actually I think chapters 36 through 38 are almost an exact account of 2 Kings 18 and 19 that we're going to talk about today. So Kings begins with God putting kings in authority over Israel. I don't know if you knew this or not, but God didn't have a plan to originally do that. The people wanted that. They came to him and said, hey, we want a king. God said, no, you don't need a king. I'm your king. They said, no, we want a king. He said, all right, I'll give you a king. So he gave him Saul. King Saul was the first king who became a wicked king. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David. And then David was anointed king. And then David's son Solomon became the next king in succession. So all of kings, first and second kings, is really just a lineage all the way on down the line of the kingship and what was done. Most of the kings were actually bad. Most of the kings turned away from the Lord. Some were good. Hezekiah was a good king. We're going to see that today. One of few. His father was Ahaz. His son was Manasseh. They were very bad kings. Both of them, it says, they made their sons pass through the fire of Molech. Remember when we talked about that, right? So there were a lot of wicked kings. There were some good kings. There's a great lesson in Hezekiah's life, I believe, on enduring faith. But one last thing about kings, when David was anointed king, God said to David, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you. He made a covenant with David. He said that your throne uh, will, will be everlasting, that it'll never pass from you. This is powerful, folks, because as you look through the succession of kings on down through David, the lineage of David is what Christ comes out of. So think about this, right? If you lived in the Roman Empire, it would be said, whatever road that you were ever on in that day, all roads lead to Rome. Make sense? All Scripture leads to Jesus. It all points to Him. Jesus became the King of kings out of the lineage of David and the fulfillment of God's covenant that an everlasting throne would be established. When Jesus returns... He will reign with a rod of iron, and as the sky rips open, his feet will descend. They will stand upon the Mount of Olives, and he will overlook the capital city of his reign in Jerusalem. The Bible says heaven is his throne, and the earth is his footstool. That is an awesome king, is it not? That is an awesome king. And so all things point to Jesus. And there's a picture in this story of kings today that I believe will encourage us as it pertains to having enduring, persistent faith against the enemy that is always out to destroy the works of God in our lives. So let's begin in first, or 2 Kings 18. We'll read verses 1 through 8 to open up. This is kind of like uh, the resume, if you will, of Hezekiah. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. 
He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars down, the wooden image and broken pieces, the brown serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nahushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor, were, uh, nor who were before him. Now this next verse, when I started reading this, is when it began to really make sense why the Lord was reminding me and taking me back to this. Verse 6, For he held fast to the Lord, did not depart from following Him, but kept His commandments which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him, he prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza, and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. You remember last week whenever we were talking about enduring faith, and one of the things that I spoke on is how we are to be bound or tethered to the call of God and following Jesus no matter what. Right? Paul says, I'm bound in the Spirit to this call. A tethering, a strengthening to where we're really following Jesus through thick and thin no matter what. Verse 6, it says about Hezekiah, he held fast to the Lord, which means to be bonded to. Literally means the exact same thing. This is a Hebrew word. The other one was a Greek word, but it means the same thing, to be bonded to. It says he held fast to the Lord, listen, and did not depart from following him. He didn't turn away. He endured. So this is the overview. This is the bio. This is kind of like, it says he reigned for what, 29 years. So that's the, that's the quick summary version of his life. It's a pretty impressive resume. But when we start to dig into season by season, event by event, I think what you'll find about enduring and persistent faith, that I don't know if it'll encourage you, encourages me, uh, is that it doesn't look like perfection. It, it, it actually looks kind of messy at times, where the humanness of us wrestles through these things. And the desperation for a powerful God to work in and through us to help us with these things really is revealed. That's actually the picture we'll begin to see. So here's what happens. Uh, Hezekiah is reigning. It says in the 14th year of his reign that Assyria, the mightiest empire in the land at the time, and the king, who's the most powerful king in all the land, is Sennacherib, he comes and they invade the land of Judah and they conquer all of the surrounding cities and they make their way up to Jerusalem. They lay siege to Jerusalem. So they surround it and the whole point of a siege is, is they starve the people out. Nobody can get in, nobody can get out and they just wait them out until they're weak and their defenses are weak and then they just walk right in. And that's what they're trying to do. So Jerusalem is surrounded Frankly, they are completely outnumbered. Militarily, there's no chance here for them. Jerusalem is the final outpost. The final outpost. And I want to show you today, I believe, that this is actually a picture of our faith. The enemy attacks from all directions around us, all angles. He takes things down. He creates chaos, tries to weaken those around us. Eventually, he's moving his way in for the ultimate kill. He wants to destroy our faith. He wants to attack and destroy our faith. He wants to get us to relent. He wants to get us to stop following Jesus' plan for our lives. He wants to cancel that. You've got to know that. You've got to know your enemy. The Bible tells us that we cannot be ignorant, but must be wise to the devices or schemes of the devil. It's important that we understand how he operates. Schemes or devices, that word in the Greek is methodeia. It's where we get the English word method from. It means this is a pattern of how he operates with his evil trickery. If he does these things a lot, we need to know how he operates. Would you agree with me? And so I want to show you some things today, in this, especially in this story, 
of how the enemy tries to attack our faith, wants to destroy our faith, wants to get us to relent and not continue to endure and persist. Hit us, hit us, hit us again, eventually throw in the towel. But strong faith persists and perseveres through every season and every journey of our lives. So the first point, if you are taking notes, how this enemy operates is intimidation. Be thinking about the question that I asked you a little bit ago. Do you sometimes wish your faith could just take a break? I know that sounds funny, but I'm, I'm going to come back to that later. Think about that question. But the enemy, he tries to create intimidation. So let's go to 18, verse 13. And so it was in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. And Hezekiah stripped the gold from the front doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which the king of Judah had overlaid and gave them to the king of Assyria. Wait a minute. This was supposed to be a great man of faith. Isn't that the resume we just read? We read it right. This does not look like a moment of strength to me. This looks like Hezekiah is trying to buy off this threat. He strips the temple doors, the house of God, of the gold that overlaid it, and sends that to the king. Says, oh, I'm sorry, king, would you leave us alone? Why would he do that? Intimidation. The enemy wants you to think that he's bigger than what he really is. He comes up against the city with a mighty army. Yes, they're outnumbered in the natural. You understand that? He always wants to make his appearance and his posture seem bigger and greater and more swelled up really than the strength that's there in him to come against the God we serve. But if, we can, if he can intimidate us, Get us afraid. You know, fear is one of his greatest weapons. Fear brings torment and terror. That's never from God. He says if he can bring that fear, bring that terror, then we can, if we respond to that, in many cases, we will actually begin to give something over to the enemy that really belongs to the Lord. Our trust, our loyalty, I'll compromise on my honesty and integrity because it just looks like if I just do it this one time, I'll get through this terrible situation. I'll just tell them what they want to hear and we'll move on from this thing. You understand that? Like you just gave something of your character, of your integrity. So many examples I could give, but intimidation can cause us to turn something over to the enemy that really belongs to God. We ought not to be intimidated, but the enemy certainly tries to use fear to do that to us. Verse 17, Then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rasari, and the Rashikah from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. They went up and came to Jerusalem, and when they had come there, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which is on the highway to the Fuller's Field. So let's paint a picture of this in our mind's eye. They come up and they literally surround the city of Jerusalem and they're right at the walls. The enemy is right there at their doorstep. The Jews, they're, they're on the walls, they're defending their city and the enemy is all around it. They come up right to it. This is kind of like the Goliath pattern. Big army, big enemy comes right up to the doorstep and begins to taunt and intimidate. I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. You don't stand a chance. Here we are. What are you going to do? And all of a sudden, if we give way to fear, it's a spirit, and it can begin to get a foothold in our life that expands, and then fear can begin to bring terror. We do crazy things. 
when we are driven by fear. But can I remind you, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power and love and of a sound mind. In these moments, we've got to take a stand. Verse 19 through 20, Then the Rashikah said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. Who In whom do you trust that you would rebel against me? Wow. Here we go. He's laying it all on. Remember Goliath? He is right up at the doorstep of Israel with their armies. And you know what they want? They really want to take more territory. They really want more ground. It's, it, Hezekiah gave him the, the gold, and here he is. Now he's, it's never enough, right? He always wants more. He always wants to keep destroying. He's never going to stop. And here they are now at the doorstep, and he's saying, who, who are you? Who, who do you think you are? You're going to take me down? Come on. He goes on to say, look at all of the other kings around you in the other regions, and they're all laying down dead. We already took them. This is the intimidation. He he tries to remind us and get us to think about uh, other people didn't make it. What makes you think you're going to make it through this? You know a lot of people that died from that sickness. What makes you think you're going to get healed? Come on, right? It even reminds us of our past defeats. You've been an addict for 15 years. What makes you think you're going to get clean now? What do you have? What makes you think you can beat me? And if we begin to listen to this intimidation, it will completely paralyze our our faith. Our faith has to rise above these things in these moments and say, no, I trust God. I am not going to listen to these threats of intimidation. They will not paralyze me. We've got to, we've got to, our faith has to rise up in those moments. It's like David says in Psalms 27, he says, though an enemy may encamp around me, my heart will not fear. War may rise against me, of this will I be sure. I will trust in the Lord forever. You know, I wish I could say that this won't happen, but frankly, it will. And if God continues to work in and through you, it definitely will. Enemies and wars will rise in rage around you and against you. But you must be sure that your faith and your trust is in the Lord and that you have nothing to fear. In the natural, you will look severely outnumbered. That's the point of the fight of faith, the walk of faith, that just live by faith is not by sight. It will look like you're very outnumbered, but your faith can win the day. Our faith can prevail, and it needs to. Enduring faith. I got a burden for this right now that we get strong in the body of Christ. And that our faith is not this weak, anemic faith that just buckles under the first sign of pressure when the enemy comes against us. Because I don't think that the heat's going to get turned down. we got to get strong. Amen? So that was number one, is intimidation. Number two, what does the enemy do? Deception. Deception. The Bible tells us that Satan, who is also called the devil or the serpent, is the great deceiver of the world. Jesus says in John 8, he says, He is the father of lies and there is no truth in him. Paul says that he disguises himself as an angel dressed in light. Deception. Let me read verses 25 here through 32. Think about this point. Deception. The enemy is speaking to the Israelites, the Jews. Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rashikah, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it 
and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. This is a very important point, okay? The warriors who are trying to defend the city, they all speak Hebrew. Assyria, predominant language is Aramaic in the region. But they're not speaking Aramaic, they're speaking Hebrew, which is interesting because now all of the people can understand them. And so some of the leaders are like, speak to us in Aramaic so they can't hear what you're saying. All right, now listen to what they say. Then the Rashikas stood, verse 28, then the Rashikas stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew, they didn't listen to him, and spoke saying, hear the word of the great king, king of Assyria, thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me and buy a present and come out to me, and every one of you will eat from his own vine and have, one of his, own, have his own fig tree. Every one of you will drink waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. Do not listen to Hezekiah lest he persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Whoa. Okay, so here's the whole point in this. Blatant lies to a believer many times are really easy to recognize. Here's what we've got to be aware of. That our enemy disguises himself. You see, they're speaking Hebrew, not Aramaic. The enemy's coming to them trying to sound like a familiar voice. It's not the blatant lies, it's the slightly twisted lies that look a little bit like truth that we absolutely have to be aware of. An enemy that wants to actually sound like he's familiar. Hey, don't, don't worry about this. We'll give you what you need. We'll give you food and resources and land. We'll make you happy. We'll bring everything that you need. Do you understand the trickery that's happening right here? We'll give you what God should be giving you. And it sounds like God. It looks like God. But really, at the end of the day, it's the enemy. It's not the voice of God. <laughs> I, I'm frankly really concerned about this today in the church that we have a lot of voices that look like or sound like truth, but really are a twist of the truth and are not actually accurate. It says that he, the enemy, the devil, is like he disguises himself as an angel in light. He tries to look like one of God's messengers. It even says that those who are his ministers of unrighteousness, would we not be surprised that they would disguise themselves as well? Think about that. Satan has ministers of unrighteousness who are disguising themselves and cloaking themselves to look like the real thing. Oh, folks, sound doctrine must prevail in our day today. We need to be people who know the word of God, who hear the voice of God, so that when an enemy comes trying to sound like God, when we hear it, we can say, uh-uh, God would never say that to me. God would never say, lower your defenses and come serve me. Have all this. I won't say. God would not say those things. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, we've got to cast down every argument and high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. You, you, you cast it down when it tries to exalt itself because you know, uh-uh, that is not God. That's not truth. And I'm not going to stand for that to penetrate the defenses of my walls in my life and attack and degrade my faith. No, no, no. Truth must prevail. I remember one time I was driving home from a meeting or appointment, and uh, I called Katie on my way home and just say, hey, I'm on my way, and you know, anything that you need, I'm stopped. So I call, and my oldest daughter, Bella, she likes to kind of you know, play a little trick every now and then. She'll grab mom's phone and answer it. Hello, 
you know? And she, you know, kind of can pull it off if she didn't say too much. And I'm like, oh, hey, babe, how's it going? And good? Yeah, everything. <laughs> everything went great. The meeting went great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, like, is there anything that I can get you? You want me to stop by the store and get you anything on the way home? Ice cream? <laughs> Give mom the phone back, Bella. I know mom, and mom would not say that. And I think that's kind of, you know, the point I'm trying to make is that I know Katie well enough to know the things that she would or would not say. We've got to know. We've got to know God well enough and his word well enough to be able to spot a counterfeit at the moment it begins to try and present itself to us. It's one of his greatest forms of trickery and deception to try and attack our faith is to kind of look like the real thing. He is the deceiver, the great deceiver, and he will try to deceive you, but truth will prevail. Amen? Listen to Hezekiah's response, okay? So now the enemy just is coming against him, coming against him, coming against him. Is he going to surrender? Is he going to give up? Verse nine, or chapter 19, verse 1. When Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, went into the house of the Lord. And then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and to the elders of the priests, and covered them with sackcloth. He sent them all to Isaiah the prophet. Okay, here's Isaiah, makes his appearance now in the scene. Verse 3, and then they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there is no strength in them to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord our God will hear the words of the Rashikah, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayers for the remnant that is left. Okay, two things. One, he needs a word from God. You see that? He's got to have a word from the Lord. Isaiah, what does God say about this? What's happening? Surely the Lord sees that there's blasphemy that's coming against him right now. But two, he says, there's, there's no strength in us to bring this thing forth. Now, this is where the realness of this gets real for me. This doesn't look like perfection. He says, frankly, I don't know how we can possibly win this battle. I, I don't even, we don't even have the strength to fight them. We want to, we're willing, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a word from you, God. It's going to take something from you because we don't even have it in ourselves. Lift up a prayer, Isaiah, for the remnant of faith, the little bit of faith that's left here in this place. It's not gone. There's still faith left. Do you see that? He's in a weakened moment, but he throws himself in the house of the Lord, seeks a word from God, and his faith is continuing on. He's not surrendering. And then Isaiah brings a word to Hezekiah from the Lord and says, don't be afraid. This enemy is not going to defeat you. In fact, he says, I'm going to turn him around and I'm going to take him back to the place that he came from. And this word, listen, is enough to encourage Hezekiah to keep going, to continue on, to continue to stand in his faith. Can I tell you something? In your greatest moments of attacks and assaults that the enemy is launching against you, be encouraged and be assured everything that you need for your faith to continue on, it's right here in God's words. Everything we need to keep our faith moving is right here in the things that God says to us. I need my faith to be strengthened. I need faith for this moment. Guess what? The word of God is fully sufficient to give your faith everything it needs in every moment in every season of your life. Frankly, you can't go anywhere else for that. It must, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. His, the word of God encourages Isaiah in this mo, or Hezekiah in this moment and he continues on. The next thing, the last thing that I want to show you that the enemy does, we've got intimidation, deception. The last thing, accusation. 
accusation. Now think about this for a second with me. The Bible tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So he's going to accuse us. He's going to attack our identity. You're not who you think you are. You don't have what the promises in the Bible say that you have. Try to separate us from that identity. He's trying to accuse us. But he also tries to accuse God. He tried to do this to to Adam and Eve in the garden. He did. He accused God of withholding something from them that would have been better for them, as if God was holding out. And so he tries to accuse. Listen to what happens. This is in uh, chapter 19, verse 10. You shall speak this to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all of the lands by utterly destroying them. How shall you be delivered? He's saying, don't be fooled. God's not going to save you. God's not going to show up for you. Look at all these other examples. Where was God there? Now, the reality is those weren't people that served the true God. So you see the trickery happening there too. But he's trying to accuse God. God's not going to show up. God's, God's, don't let God deceive you. As if God, the deceiver is accusing God of deceiving. You see that? But he brings these accusations against God. Maybe you've had this happen before. It might sound a little bit like this. Why would God let that happen to you? If God's a loving God, why would you go through that? If God could stop that any time, why is he not stopping that for you right now? You think God's good? Why, why would you trust God if, you, if you've been through all of this and you've been praying and he hasn't answered your prayer yet? That's what accusation begins to sound like. And he tries to taint the image and reputation of God so that our faith will crumble and buckle under this pressure. It's the final outpost. He's coming in for the kill. He's attacked everywhere around there. He's got to take the final city if he wants to win it all. And it's the final place of the battle. And Hezekiah has to continue to stand strong. Look at what he does. Verse 14. So this came by way of letter. Hezekiah says he received the letter from the messengers. He read it. And then he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread the letter before the altar of God. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, all the kingdoms of the earth you have made, heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sinecrib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, but they were not gods. They were work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, our Lord, O God, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are Lord, the Lord God, you alone. Wow. Faith continues. He goes into the temple of the Lord. It's like a worship session breaks out here. You see that? I got no other options, but I'm coming to worship. I'm coming to praise. Listen to the things that he begins to do. He starts to declare the goodness of God. Do you see that? Oh, Lord God, you are good. You made the heavens and the earth. You reign over everything. There are going to be moments in your life where you're under attack. Can I just encourage you? to begin to declare the goodness of God that you know to be true in those moments. There's something that begins to shift in the atmosphere and in your faith when you choose to declare the goodness of God even in the face of an obstacle or a trial. He says, I'm not going to stop that. And then he says this. He says, God, would you win this victory? It's so beautiful. Why? Why? This just grips me. He doesn't say, would you win this victory so that you can give us reprieve? Just get this enemy away from us. Let, let life go back to the way it was, God. Would you just get this away so that we can you know, just live normal again? 
He doesn't say anything. He says, God, would you win this victory? Why? So that you can get the glory and be famous and all would know that you are the Lord God. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you something. When your prayers and your faith begin to be driven and motivated, not by giving you some form of reprieve or a little break in the action, but by God doing something to where he would get the glory, I'm telling you, it'll set your faith and your prayer life on fire when that becomes your motivation and your aim for everything. God, I don't know why it's happening. I don't understand it. And frankly, we stand no chance against this enemy on our own. But God, I believe and trust in you. And I'm asking you, would you win a victory in a way, Lord, where you can get the glory? And if you do, then everything we went through was worth it for that. (laughs) Hallelujah. But the faith has to continue. And listen to what happens. Now, I want to remind you that when God brings this victory that we're about ready to see, it doesn't say that it happened immediately after Hezekiah prayed that prayer. It doesn't say that. It's likely a number of days before this victory ends up happening. So again, the demand on the faith continues to be there all the way through, even up until the point where we see the breakthrough and beyond. Here's what happens. Verse 35 in chapter 19. It came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and returned to Nineveh. You remember the word of the Lord? I'm going to send him back to the place he came from. And he goes back and says, And then it came to pass as he was worshiping in his temple of his God, his sons came and struck him down with the sword, and then they escaped. He died by the sword of his own sons in his own land. He was taken back to where he came from. But the angel of the Lord came in on one night and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. That's a supernatural victory. You see that? They were incapable of that. But God, one night, angel of the Lord, this thing's over. Just like that. Now think about this for a second. Again, all roads lead to Jesus, right? We see the picture of this event real time for them at that point. Enemy comes to the doorstep, tries to take the final outpost. God says, they're never going to launch an arrow into this city. You're going to be fine. Supernatural victory, destroys massive numbers, takes and sends the enemy back to where he came from, and the enemy suffers defeat. That all plays out in 2 Kings 18 and 19. But think about this for just a second. What is this a picture of? In the final days, the enemy, under the influence of the Antichrist, will lead the armies, the rebellious armies, up to Jerusalem to mount up for a final battle. No arrow will even make its way into the holy city. God, Jesus, will come back and supernaturally they will all be defeated. There won't even be a fight. And the carnage, it says, the blood will rise to the bits of the bridles and the horses' mouths. And just like in the story here, then the land will be reestablished and restored for God's reign over his people, just like it will in the millennial kingdom. You see that? But listen, you've got to get this. Chapter 19, verse 20 Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. What does this say? What does this mean? God brought the supernatural victory. He moved in this situation. But he says, Because, Hezekiah, you prayed. I heard. Say it again. I said it earlier. Your faith is necessary. Your faith is required. 
And when your faith shows up, guess what? God sees, God hears, and God moves. Yes, I know he's sovereign and all that, but I'm just telling you that our faith is required for the things that God wants to do in and through our lives. It's a faith that, faith that must get strong and that must endure. Hezekiah's faith persisted, persisted, persisted. One attack, another attack, another attack, and it just kept on going. And this is a real picture of how our journey of faith looks like. It's not one and done, the enemy leaves us alone for the rest of our lives. In fact, let me just kind of give you just a little demonstration. Let's just say, it's football time, right? Yeah? Brady or Mahomes? Chiefs or Bucks? A lot of division, a lot of division. No division, no division, okay. So, let's just pretend that this football is God's purpose and plan for your life. Now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, running backs in football, one of the things that makes a running back really great is that they have the ability to keep their feet moving. Even when they get hit, they don't stop moving, and they just keep pushing like a train. So I think sometimes what we would hope or wish, come to God, he's got a plan for my life, great, now it's just off to the races, into the end zone, baby, totally uncontested, right? Now, I mean, sounds great, but it just obviously is not reality. Let me show you a little bit more of what reality is, actually. Um, Ryan, would you come up here? And Nick, would you come up here? And I picked on Mike and Adrian last week, so. All right, Ferd, would you come up here? Yeah, there we go. All right, so Ryan, you stand right here. Nick, you stand right there. And then Ferd, you stand over there. This is a little bit more of what a picture of our journey of faith and enduring faith looks like. God's got a plan for my life. I'm heading in this direction, boom, I come up against an enemy. My faith is required. My feet keep moving. I'm pushing through, finally. Oh, there's another enemy, boom. God attacked me in my finances, now he's attacking my relationship, boom. Oh man, I'm gonna keep moving. My feet are not gonna stop moving. My faith's gonna keep going. Whoa, global pandemic, holy cow. Whoa. My feet keep moving. My faith keeps on persisting. There might be an enemy. There might be something hitting me in the face, but my feet are going to keep on going. My faith is going to keep on moving through this journey that I'm on. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate that. I'm sorry if I uh, was a little hard on you there. If I hurt you, I apologize. Sorry about that. Listen, let me kind of bring this thing in. So, you say, hey, that, that sounds great. That looks great, Pastor Matt. I get the picture. I see it. But, you know, frankly, my faith, I, I, I do feel kind of wore out right now. I do feel like the enemy's been wailing on me, and I, I'm just kind of like spiritual faith fatigue. I want to show you something. It blows me away. I think it'll blow you away. It's really good news. It's really good news. What do we do when our faith feels like it's in fatigue? Listen to this. Acts chapter 3. I don't think I have them. I don't think you have those verses. But Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Listen to this. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be, plotted, be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now look, this is great news. What is refreshing, first of all? Paint a picture of this. Imagine it's a really, really hot day, 100 plus degrees. You've worked all day in the beating sun, nothing to drink. You, you, you crawl into your house, nice air-conditioned home. You take a nice drink of ice-cold spring water. That's refreshing. It means to be revived or to be sparked, to be refreshed, to come alive again. Imagine you held your breath for two minutes, as long as you could, and then finally you take that first breath. It's like a breath of fresh air, and you're about ready to pass out, and all of a sudden now you're revived, you're refreshed. Well, he's not talking about physical refreshing, clearly. He's talking about spiritual refreshing, but I'm trying to give you a picture of what he's saying he says, there will be times 
seasons in your life ahead where you are going to need to be refreshed. Your faith is going to need to be strengthened and refreshed because you've been through attacks and you're in a time of fatigue. Praise God, here is the antidote. What did he say? He says times of refreshing, times and more times and again seasons and times in your future and in your life, it's plural, many times over, you'll need refreshing and guess what? It's available, refreshing, strengthening spiritually to your faith will come from what? The presence of the Lord. Right there. The presence of God. We just talked about this at the beginning of Vision Month. Being in God's presence, contending for His presence in all things we do is a priority for us in everything God's setting out for us. Believe that with all my heart. But I'm just telling you right now, getting in the presence of God, not just on Sundays, not just on Sundays, Getting in the, I mean, it's kind of like a fountainhead here, right? This is kind of like wellspring that should just cultivate and flow into our daily lives throughout the rest of the week. But living in the presence of God is a sure way to continue to keep your faith revived and fresh and strengthened and sharp in all moments and in all seasons of your life. Amen, amen. I'm going to close with that. My pastor guy back up here. Let's just stand to our feet. And I want to pray before we go. You're here today, and you say, Pastor, I need, I need to be refreshed. I feel kind of like that whole faith fatigue, you know, that you're talking about. Well, I got good news. God is able, and God is willing. He desires refresh your soul God doesn't intend for you to walk around with weak faith God wants you to have strong mighty faith that endures and persists that his plans and promises for you will always come to pass let's just pray that God would in his presence today before we go that he would just bring a time a moment of refreshing to continue this work of refreshing and strengthening reviving that strong faith in us right now in this time we're in. Father, we're asking you as we come to you today and in your presence, Lord, would you refresh each and every person? Would you strengthen each and every person here in their faith, Lord? In their faith right now, whatever it is they're going through, we know, God, that you have the ability to impart a measure of faith into each and every one of us, God. And we're asking you now to do that. Lord Jesus, our eyes are fixed and set on you. You are the way. There is no way other than you. Would you refresh us now? Let's just worship for a moment longer. Let's just continue to praise God. Let's just be in his presence. Let the Lord refresh you right now.